Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day to be here, gathered together in a place of freedom, a place to gather together in the love of Christ and learn your word. We ask that you help us not take these things for granted, this opportunity for granted. You have us alive for another day, and that means another chance to bring you glory. Help us not take any one day for granted, Father. Father, we're eternally grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for sending him out of heaven to do something unthinkable, to pay the price for our sin through his death on the cross, so that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved forever and ever by your grace. We ask that you bless this message, guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 19. So, on Sunday, uh, one thing really kind of stuck out to me, uh, at least probably in the first half of the message, and that is the fact that sin is just not fully describable in terms of its wretchedness. Um, I think before Sunday's message, I kind of thought I had a grasp on sin, like understood how bad it was, whatever. Um, like, and, and that means you have um, limits on it. You have, you have an idea of where you think it ends, so to speak. But from Sunday, we saw how sin is so wretched we have no idea. We probably couldn't bear to stand the truth of what sin is in this life if we really knew the wretchedness, the lengths of its wretchedness. Um, we can try, like the Bible gives us many analogies, which we're going to see again today. It gives us like a picture form of what sin looks like in God's eyes. And this is from God's perspective, right? We're trying to get God's perspective on sin. From our perspective, it doesn't look so bad. <laughs> Because we're used to it, maybe. Or because we rationalize it away as not being that bad in many cases. But from God's perspective, how impure, how violent, I'll use that word, is sin to God. Even when we look at the biblical analogies, what God does give us about sin, we can't fully grasp the horror and the ugliness of it. And last night in the men's Bible study, we were talking, and what came up was all the effects of sin, the consequences of sin in the garden. And one thing was that how animals, before the fall in the garden, animals all ate plants. They didn't eat each other. After the fall, they literally tear each other to pieces. Sin did that. That's an effect of sin, something so violent, so horrible to do towards another creature. So this, these, again, are just pictures. This is just what we can look at as a guide, but we're not really getting close to the true wretchedness of sin, especially how God sees it. So as God's children, obviously we want to see things how God sees things. Uh, that should be your desire. And that includes gaining his perspective on sin itself. 
And that's really what uh, Sunday was about to me. Uh, it was gaining God's perspective on sin. Pastor opened up with a reminder of the nature of sin on the board. What are we given in the Word of God? Sin is likened to carcass scum in a boiling pot, Ezekiel 24, 10 through 12. Sin is likened to the blood and pollution of a newborn child, Ezekiel 16, 4, and 6. It's also likened to putrefying sores, Isaiah 1, 5 through 6. A menstrual rag, Isaiah 3.22 and Lamentations 1.17, and a dead and rotting body in Romans 7.24. It's also likened to the offensive stench and poisonous fumes of an open grave in Romans 3.13, the lusts of the devil in John 8.44, an ulcer or gangrene in 2 Timothy 2.17, the dung of filthy creatures, Philippians 3.8, and the vomit of a dog or wallowing of a pig in the mire, 2 Peter 2.22. Ask yourself, why does a dead body smell so absolutely horrible after a short time? Why? I mean, you probably don't think of that, right? But it didn't have to be that way. Why does it only take a few days instead of a few months or a few years? Why does it smell at all? Why doesn't it just die and go away? dissipate, whatever. Why is that unavoidable? Is that not an illustration from God of what sin leads to? Because, again, before sin, there was no death, right, in the garden. Before sin, there was no such thing as death. But what's the result of sin? Ultimately, death. That's why Christ had to come and save us from spiritual death. So just think about what a horrible illustration God gave us in the smell of a dying or a dead body. Our Lord Jesus saved us from sin and death. That is true, positionally and eternally. But the results of sin or the consequences of sin still remain in this life. Unavoidable. Not just taken away. And that's why we end up dying a physical death before our spirit sees the Lord face to face. Still, even though Christ paid for us, paid for all our sins on the cross, whoever believes in Him is going to be absent from the body and face to face with the Lord one day. But physical death must come first, unless you're part of the rapture generation. It's still a consequence of sin that we have to go through. Sin is much worse than what our senses can detect. That also came out on Sunday. Sin is much worse than our senses can detect. We talked about that list, you know, that sin is likened to on the board, right? And you, a lot of it has to do with smells or, or appearance, things you see, how ugly certain things are. Okay, but regardless of what the senses can tell you, sin's way worse. Again, I don't, I, we probably couldn't bear it. And only the light of the Word of God can... Do it justice, so to speak, as we continue to desire to know our enemy. That's one main reason for this series, is to get to know and understand our enemy and how horrible it is and how wicked it is, uh, how wretched it is to God, so that it might affect our hearts so that we don't want to do the things we do because of God and what he did. 
And we saw an example of that attitude in David. Uh, as many of you know, David's called a man after God's own heart in Acts 13. And this same man honestly sought after God, as in Psalm 139, which we've seen on the board. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. David wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. That right there is totally opening up to God um, as a humble child, I guess you might say. And from that verse, you can also see David's opinion of God. What does David think of God? When you look at that verse, what does David think of God? What's his opinion of God? He held God in such high esteem, to say the least. He approached him with love, even, as you can see in this passage. And his love for God caused him to reach out to God for help, to help him see where he might be offending him. I mean, you think about, you know, when you're a child, you don't realize the things you're doing that hurt your parents. You just don't realize it yet. You don't get it yet. You don't see it at the age of 8, at the age of 10, at the age of 12. You don't see how these things affect or make your parents sad, let's say. And that's how we are to, you know, to God. We don't see a lot of the things we do and how they hurt God, how it makes God sad, so to speak. But David's like, maybe like an eight-year-old boy saying, Dad, show me what I'm doing to offend you. Am I doing anything wrong here? Am I making you feel sad in any way? I mean, he uses the term hurtful. So it's just an attitude here, and this is kind of what the Spirit's been getting at. Uh, where, where are our affections, right? So regarding this verse, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, how beautiful and how righteous it is, the things that David said. How beautiful and righteous they are. It's the right way to think and do God's gift of life. I mean, it's his life, isn't it? He literally put us here on earth and gave us life in the first place. Then he saved us from ourselves, from sin, from eternal judgment. What are you going to do with it? Like, what's the proper way? What's the righteous way to live that life that's a gift? It's like we see here with this attitude. It should be all about God, right? God, you let me live. Why am I here? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Now I know I am here. You opened my eyes through your spirit. You showed me the way to salvation. I have no more excuses to be deceived into living for myself and thinking it's about me somehow. What do you want me to do? And that's basically what David's saying in this passage. God deserves, and this is an understatement, but I don't think we live this way. God deserves our every consideration as we walk through life. Does he not deserve our every consideration, like with everything we do? He saved us from the pit of hell? That was really David's attitude in Psalm 139. God deserves our every consideration as we walk through life as his adopted ones, saved by his magnificent grace. 
For David, it wasn't only a passing thought, as it is with many of us. He counted it as his own responsibility towards God. He reckoned himself as accountable to God's amazing grace. We might say it's righteous to be thankful. The right thing to do is to be thankful, like always. The Spirit's been hitting us with this idea several different ways over the years, for many years now. How righteous it is to be thankful. How, um, how it saves us from deception, from depression, from a lot of things. Just by living in God's will for us, which is to be thankful, right? And pray. 1 Thessalonians. On the board, Romans 6.11. Paul said, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves that way. Do you consider your life that way? Do you consider your life God's, honestly? Or do you consider it your own and you hope to bring God some glory on the side? Paul said, consider yourselves dead to sin. That means it's not your life anymore, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But you have to, we each have to consider ourselves that way. We each have to uh, give God our every consideration since it's his life. If we're truly grateful for God's unselfish act of love at the cross, wouldn't we want to do whatever we can to not hurt him or offend him? You say, yes, of course. While you're in Bible class, you say that, right? But if we're honest, when we're alone and when we're living our lives, (laughs) is your attitude, I don't want to do anything to offend God? This came out on Sunday also. If you have genuine love for someone, you want to stop hurting them right away. So this is a test for all of us. I mean, if we're honest, some days we, we, we think this way, we, uh, we give God our every consideration. Some days we don't. So it's a test for all of us. This is not like condemning in any way, but it is challenging. The point on the board is challenging. Do I have genuine love for God? Do I really want to stop hurting Him right away? Or do I fall into these lapses of selfishness? And then when God reveals a hurtful way in us, we turn from it and we say thank you. If we ask these things that David asked, show me or any hurtful way in me. And then God shows us we should be excited. You know, that answer to prayer. That clarity God gives us on a certain thing in our lives, a certain attitude maybe. And we can say thank you. And we can then be set free from it. Because we have the light, right? Anything we see is now light. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So thank you, Lord, for showing me how I was offending you. I'm an eight-year-old boy. I had no idea, Dad, that this hurt you in this way. Or that this saddened you. Thank you for showing me. I'm glad I asked. That was the attitude of David. The humble heart that reaches out to God on a daily basis will be shown the truth one piece at a time 
and therefore also be set free by it. A big question that came up on Sunday, knowing something hurts the Lord, why do you do it? Your freedom and sanctification lies in your honest answer to that question. You know, it hurts me just asking this question of myself. Knowing something hurts the Lord, why do you do it? Because this is difficult because you're actually honestly examining your motivation. And you're trying to figure out why sometimes your head is so sick. Why you're thinking in an anti-God way, right? Or doubting God. Knowing something hurts the Lord, why do you do it? And God's not about condemning us. He's like, let's, let's find this out. Let's, let's, come, let's come together on this. Let me show you why you do this so that I can set you free by it. So that you can see the deception of sin in your life. So you don't have to be a victim, victim to it anymore. Again, as David said on the board, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It reminds me of Joseph's attitude when he was tempted by sexual sin. Joseph, like David, was concerned with hurting the Lord. He would say, you know, something like, God's been so good to me, so faithful to me. How can I do this thing against him? And that's what we should all be saying. And if we don't realize how, God's good, how good God has been to us, we need to sit back and ponder all the things he saved us from and forgave us of. But this was Joseph's attitude. He's like, how can I sin against the one who just spared me, forgave me, saved me? As David said in Psalm 51, when we sin, we sin against the Lord ultimately. Against you, Lord, I have sinned. That's ultimately what happens. Even if there are people involved, you're ultimately sinning against the Lord himself. So let's take a look at Joseph's attitude towards God, which also might help us. Go to Genesis 39, verse 6. Genesis 39, 6. See, our problem is we lose sight of how good God has been to us. Isn't that the the crux of the matter? Like, isn't that the, um, the thing that makes us stumble? We lose sight of how good God has been to us, what he's forgiven us of. In other words, we stop being thankful, grateful. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but that's like the core of the problem. Look at Joseph's attitude again in Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 39, 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Notice the whole passage, he's talking about his master in the house. 
okay, Potiphar, he's talking about his master and how, how much his master re- respects him and trusts him. But how does he end it? He doesn't say, how could I sin against my master? He says, how could I sin against God? It should be personal to us. We should make it personal. God reached out in kindness and mercy to all of us to save us. How can it not be personal? To Joseph, it was personal. Salvation was personal. To David, the same thing. They're two wonderful examples of a heart after God. So how can any of us believers be indifferent about sinning against our God? So this is the attitude the Spirit is trying to foster in us. He's trying to wake us up, open our eyes to you know, a different way of looking at things, uh, more appropriately to considering God in everything we do. Our dear, dear Father who treat, treats us so kindly when we deserve so much uh, worse. So changing gears a bit, the Spirit helped us along on Sunday with talk about counting our blessings. How does that fit into lovingly avoiding sin against our God? Very well, if you think about it. It's only when we become dissatisfied and selfish that we sin against God. It's only when we become dissatisfied and selfish that we sin against God. That's one of sin's tactics against us to get us to be dissatisfied with God's current condition for us. I'm to this, I'm to that. You know, my current condition, I can't take it anymore. It's dragging on too long. We talked about that last night too in the men's Bible study. How God you know, gives us time, and sometimes it takes time to work us through things and to refine us, right? It's only when we become dissatisfied and selfish that we sin against God. We lose our focus. We lose our gratitude. As though God doesn't have a plan for us, right? As though this thing we're in is going to be forever. We know it's not, thank God. Even if it is for the rest of our life, we know... It's temporary and we're going to be with him forever. As though God doesn't have perfect timing, we react, we doubt God. As though he doesn't have perfect timing. As though he he knows we need to stay where we are right now in our condition, whatever it is. Sin says, just doubt God, like they did in the garden. Doubt God's plan, doubt God's timing and provisions. And really what it comes down to is this on the board. Sin at the core wants us to question God. Don't be grateful. Be dissatisfied. Don't be grateful. What about the things you don't have? That's what sin nags at us with. Gratitude gets us to drop any foolish questions or doubting God. Gratitude. Why? Our eyes are on God's goodness. So it comes back to where your eyes at, right? Are your eyes on the good things, the things of God? Are are your eyes on the things that are um, true blessings? We're going to get to that again. Are your eyes on those things or are your eyes on the things you don't have, for example? Are your eyes on God and Christ and what he did for you or are your eyes on self and what 
you want, what you think you deserve, which is a foolish statement. Our eyes have to rest on God's forgiveness, God's love, His provisions, eternal life as a gift. Our eyes have to rest on those things. You know, whatever is lovely, focus on these things. Go to Psalm 103, verse 2. Psalm 103, verse 2. Again, on the board, sin at the core wants us to question God. It's really simple. When do we question God? When we take our eyes off the blessings He's already given us. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Amen. That's like, a, that's like one of the keys to living the spiritual life and to God's will in 1 Thessalonians 5. Forget none of his benefits. Give thanks always. Forgetting is what leads to sin domination in our lives. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all all your iniquities, there's number one. Who heals all your diseases, there's number two. Who redeems your life from the pit, there's number three. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, there's number four and five, really. That one deserves a, multi a multiplier. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? Some of the benefits that God has done for us are listed here that we're told not to forget. And notice, spiritual blessings are mentioned before the physical in this list. Spiritual blessings are mentioned before the physical. Just look at verses 3 and 4. Those are all spiritual blessings. And then verse 5 gets into some temporal blessings. If we just keep counting our true blessings, we will not entertain the foolish doubts sin wants us to play with. If we just keep counting our true blessings, like, like mentioned here in verses 3, 4, and 5, if we keep, keep counting those like all the time, I know we can't do it all the time, but you know what I mean. Like if we habitually do this, do this thing, this habit, if, if we make it our priority to thank God for the spiritual blessings first and then the then the temporal, which is fine too, because he provides all good things. But if we do that, we're not going to entertain the foolish doubts, the sin nature wants us to entertain. Where are your eyes? What are they on? On the board, God's will for us, God's will is for us to abide in a constant state of gratitude. This also came out on Sunday. It's simple, it's not complicated. How do we avoid sin? How do we avoid, you know, giving in to sin or, or uh, you know, listening to the wrong voice, etc.? There's a major key. Just stay in the sphere of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. If we humbly do that, we'll always be happy. I don't know about you, but when I have a good prayer time, when I thank God and I really focus on the things I should be thankful for and all that he's done for me, such as in Psalm 103, I, get, I become happy. 
and content and grateful, right? Isn't that what grateful is? It's a form of happiness. When you're grateful, you're at peace, you're, you're, you're happy that someone did something for you. So if we humbly do that, this process, and stay in the sphere of gratitude, we're actually going to be happy and content regardless of our current condition in the world, regardless of like how sick we are or how poor we are or how attacked we are or how lonely we are, whatever it is. Our condition won't matter, really. It won't dominate us like sin wants it to dominate us. We're always going to be happy if we're in the sphere of gratitude. As we also heard on Sunday, we have to learn how to count our true blessings, not the blessings that the flesh considers blessings, not the world's blessings. So what are true blessings? They're not material things like we've been ingrained with in our country for our whole lives. That's not what God points to first in the Bible. And then how many material things are actually from him? That's another discussion. How about being spared judgment that we deserve? How about complete and total forgiveness through Jesus Christ, even for sins you haven't even committed yet? How about God's faithfulness and God's love and that it never fails? These are all spiritual blessings, right? These are all spiritual realities for the believer in Christ, that you already possess. How about being alive another day today? This has been, you know, hitting me a lot lately. I mean, I woke up again. I didn't have a heart attack. I didn't, you know, get in an accident. Every day we're alive is a gift. And I know when I was younger, even, even, even into the Word, when I was younger, I, that did not compute with me. I know every day is a gift. Of course it's a gift. But now, as I get older, I'm starting to appreciate that more. Every day is literally a gift. We know we're not guaranteed any certain age, right? I mean, and as you grow older, you see friends die young, and you're like, whoa. Today might be my last chance, my last day to bring God glory because we can't come back again and get a rerun and try to bring Him glory again. And you, I think we all have to ask ourselves, too, do we take this day for granted? You know, right now. We're bringing glory to God right now just by submitting to his word. That's pretty cool. So we're do, actually doing something for God with our lives instead of for self. Just by being here. Just by submitting. How about the spiritual blessings God has granted us by grace, such as redemption reconciliation, a new nature. Thank God for that, right? A brand new nature. So it's not like the old one has to be improved and, you know, you can screw it up. You can't screw this up. The new nature, the spirit of Christ that he placed in us. If you're a believer, you have the spirit of Jesus in you. And how about Christ's righteousness? Thank God for that. Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness was given to you when you first trusted in him. Those are spiritual blessings that have eternal riches attached to them. And what do we do? We forget those things, and we look at the things that we can see, and we look at the things we can't see because we don't have them yet, like fools. But this is how we combat the deceitfulness of sin, through thanksgiving for true blessings. That's why we need to read our Bibles every day, because we forget 
what blessings look like. We forget what God's done for us. That's what the flesh wants us to just slowly get pulled away from, right? Remember the rope around the waist where you feel that constant tension? You're not being pulled. You're not being jerked. But you're feeling this tension. Just pull you away from God. Just come on, right? That's the flesh. Without the Word of God, we, we, you know, we, take, we inch this way just to ease the tension a little bit. Then we inch this way a little bit more. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1.3. If we don't keep our eyes on, on true blessings, we are in trouble. We will be deceived. We'll be overcome by sin one day. We'll doubt God because sin's going to keep whispering in your ear. And because you don't have the Word to refute it, you're going to buy it. You're going to buy some kind of a lie because your flesh wants to. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice the phrase, every spiritual blessing. And He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When's the last time you thanked God for the Holy Spirit that sealed you forever to be one of God's? When's the last time you thank God for the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory? I hope you see from this passage why we need to keep reading our Bibles every day. This is the kind of passage that literally might save you one day, save you from rebelling, save you from believing the lies and the doubts, save you from buying the lies. But if you don't read this kind of wealth, this kind of explanation and reminder of your eternal riches, you have no defense against the deceitfulness of sin. So this kind of passage can rescue you from some very dangerous thinking. And we all have bad days. We know it, right? And hopefully they're few and far between. But some days you get pretty bad or pretty... Your mind wanders and entertains some evil thoughts, maybe really entertains doubting God or some selfish action or whatever. And 
this can save you. The, the word is all powerful. But we don't have it in our souls. I was talking to a friend the other day that just doesn't quite get it yet. And uh, the power and the importance of the word. But go home and read this passage again to yourself and just be thankful and let God um, enlighten you as to the right way to look at things. As came out on Sunday, if we continually thank God for and dwell upon His blessings, we'll have no time to think about our anti-blessings or the things we don't have. And that includes dwelling upon these things, not just thanking God for them. You know, you could thank, you could pray for hours just about how kind God's been to you. Could you not? Could you not pray for hours about how much God has forgiven you of? Maybe I'd go back to your childhood, think of your adolescence, think of your youth. Could we not go on for hours and, on, on what? he's forgiven us of and where we should have had discipline in our lives but we didn't for some reason and that's just one aspect of spiritual blessings of true blessings God's kindness our problem is that we don't realize that what we have right now is perfect for us from God where, where God has us right now is perfect for us right now where we need to be. If God wanted to get us out of it, we know He wants the best for us. He would already have gotten us out of it. But He's like, I have, I have plans for you. I need you to go through this thing with time. And, and time is going to refine you. And time is going to show you things like Ephesians 1. To look at the right things. So you can actually be grateful and happy despite your current condition. Supernatural stuff. That's not going to happen if God just gets us out of it, is it? We won't see His power. If God is all-knowing and perfect love, why would we even look for things He hasn't seen fit to give us yet? Something to think about. It's kind of foolish to look at things He hasn't given us yet when He's perfect. We'd be better off just dwelling on the things He's done for us. We could honestly do that all day long and we'd be happy, happier for it. This also came out on Sunday. Do you even understand what blessing means? And do you understand that a true blessing from God is anything that sanctifies you? We may not want to hear that, but isn't anything God has in our life that, that is going to sanctify us, that's going to refine us, that's going to purify us? Isn't that a blessing? So it includes a lot of things that we would not think of. So ask yourself, do you even understand what blessing means? Do you now have a different perspective on what blessing means from the last couple lessons? Do you understand that a true blessing from God is anything that sanctifies you? I want to bring glory to God. I want to do the will of God. If that's true, then you'll submit to whatever He has for you. Because He knows how to get you there. You don't. If something doesn't lead you towards sanctification, 
it's not a true blessing because it's not God's will. So what must we conclude if a so-called blessing leads you away from being sanctified? There's a lot of things people call blessings. And if it's leading you away from being sanctified, what do you have to conclude? That blessing might be from the kingdom of darkness, that thing you're calling a blessing. Pastor talked about on Sunday how people wrongly assign blessings to things that God doesn't want for them. Things that they want, and they talk themselves into thinking it's from God, when if you really examine it even biblically, you've got to be honest and be like, that's probably not how God would have done it, because this violates a principle, that violates a principle. When they don't receive something or lose some of their so-called blessings, they claim that they're suffering for Jesus on their cross. You see it a lot in Christianity today. It's all about materialism, isn't it? Even in Christianity. It's all about when, when you have a, a good job and you're prospering, it's a blessing from God. When the, when the job's taken away, it's a, it's, it's a curse from God. Right? When those things... Now you're suffering for Jesus because you're not making a lot of money? Maybe that's the biggest blessing in your life, that you're not making a lot of money. So that is the deceitfulness of sin. It makes us mischaracterize worldly things as spiritual and godly and good. We were reminded on Sunday that this is the same pattern that deceived man in Genesis 3, where the serpent convinced the woman to question God's true blessings. On the board, had Adam and Eve continued to spend all their time being grateful to God for all the trees they could eat from, they'd still be alive and enjoying perfect, content, peaceful fellowship with God. Peace. Is there anything like peace? I mean, it's got to be one of the best blessings we could ask for is to actually truly have peace in our soul and to be at rest with God. And never ever would have changed for them if they just didn't disobey, if they just kept being grateful. Instead, they stopped focusing on all the goodness around them Go back to the eyes, right? Where are your eyes? They stopped focusing on all the goodness around them and started focusing on on what they didn't have. They took their eyes off God's blessings and put their eyes on self. And that is the same pattern we all fall for today, especially with all the media that can lure our eyes, right? Away from good things. So on the board, this came out on Sunday, don't take the bait Don't take the bait. If you're a fish in the water and you see the hook, you see the bait on the hook, don't go for it. It's going to look like real food, but it's really just a rubber worm, right? Don't go for it. It looks shiny. It looks good. It's got to maybe have a smell. You know, they put smells on these rubber worms too to give it odor in the the water. What's Satan got in front of your face that he's tempting you with? We ask that serpentine question, this is all great, but what don't I have? There's the bait, there's the trap from the garden. What don't I have? It's just evil. And right there in that moment is where we, we, we get caught, we get spun around. We get spun around, our, our affections now veer towards something related to self. 
self-satisfaction. So that's where we have to like catch ourselves, right at this question. We don't ask this out loud, right? We ask this in our head. You know, I know I have all these things, but why don't I have that, Lord? Maybe because he's perfectly wise and he knows it's not best for you right now? Because if it was, if it was going to sanctify you, he'd give it to you. Maybe we need to grow up sir, first in a certain way. So, call out any evil thought, thought patterns you have like this on the board. What don't I have? Call it out and turn to God and confess it and look at his goodness again. Thank God for his wisdom that he's a good father and that he's holding back certain things from you that you think might be blessings. As Pastor said on Sunday, it's in that very moment that we abandon righteousness for evil when we say, what don't I have? It's in that very moment that we abandon righteousness for evil. That is the moment we are being trained in this series to identify before we allow it to wreak havoc in our souls. It starts in our souls. God says, just be thankful for what I've done for you. Sit back and look at what I've done for you. Sit back and look at what you deserve. The lake of fire. I saved you from that with my own son. Stop. Pause. Right? We get so spun up in the world. It keeps us so busy and occupied and preoccupied. And that's why, you know, the spirit, I'm grateful for the emphasis the last few years about simplifying your life. Get certain things out of your life that you know are just keeping you busy with busyness. They aren't even necessarily good. Just cut certain things out. Chop it up. Make it simple to give yourself the best chance to not be deceived by sin. We should, <laughs> the simpler we make our lives and the more occupied we are with the things of God, happiness, contentment. It's crazy. I talked to some older people in my work, you know, some people in probably in the average age, 70s, let's say, and they have a lot of wisdom and they talk about the quote-unquote old days when things were not that complicated and distracting and all that. And one lady said to me, I think it was today, she said, uh, I was happy. You know, it was simple. It was good. It was a simple godly life, simple blessings. I knew where they came from. I wasn't distracted. So this is where perspective is everything. Abiding in gratitude can save us from so many deceptions and heartaches. Just stay there. This is the place where so many poor Christians overseas are content. They stay in the place called gratitude. They're like, I know I don't have much, but I also know I'm a sinner and God saved me from that. And I'm so grateful that God loves me so much to do what he did. And that's their life. And they're happy with nothing. Regarding true blessings, Pastor Collins said this on Sunday. Do not be deceived into thinking that you don't need to ponder this long and hard. Trust me, you do. About true blessings. We all need to sit back and ask ourselves what we consider true blessings. What do we put our priorities at, you know, on, on our 
whatever, if we had a list in our head, um, where are our affections? Where do they really lie? Let's be honest. And if we're out of line, we can confess it. But we do need to ponder these things instead of going back out there and just get spun up again in our little activities so that we don't have to think about these things, so that we don't bring glory to God, so we waste our lives away. Ask yourself when you're alone with God, how do I fall into this ancient pattern of deception? For example, what don't I have? How do I fall into that ancient pattern of deception? Not, not if I do, how do I? Because we all do. How have I been letting Satan and sin seduce me away from God's goodness towards me? Even deceiving me away from true blessings. From last week, we learned that sin is striving to send us back to depravity. Back to the mire. Remember the quote-unquote good old days when you had no law, so to speak. Sin is trying to sell you on the old life, the old you, who lived only to please self. That's what sin is trying to sell you on. And without the Word, without wonderful passages like Ephesians 1, we're going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. Not only is sin negative against holiness, but it's positive towards depravity, remember. It's trying to take you somewhere. Not just push you away from Christ, it's trying to take you somewhere. Back to the mire. A key point to consider in our lives has been this. Sin isn't ambivalent. It's not passive, though it'd like you to believe it is. It is quite active, energized, and encouraged. Its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall. Even when it feels like sin isn't doing something, or it feels like sin isn't active in your life, it is. That's its uh, deception, right? That's its subtlety. Again, if there was a snake in the grass and you're in the field out there by the church where the grass is a foot tall, you're not going to know the snake is there. Well, that's sin in our lives. You're not going to know it's there many times. Don't be deceived to think it's just sitting around not planning something. Genesis 3.15. Turn there again, Genesis 3.15. Isaiah 57.20 and 21. Matthew 13.37-39. 1 John 5, 18 and 19. The battle between the seeds is described in Genesis 3, 15. God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Both seeds, this was pastor's point on Sunday, both seeds, the seed of God and the seed of the devil, are both on the move. They're both active. They're both um, antagonistic to one another, and they're both fighting for you. They're both pulling at you. In Isaiah, we saw a visual revealing the agitation of the sin nature, if we listen to it. Look on the board, Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Doesn't that stink when you can't be quiet? When your mind can't rest? Again, back to peace, right? Being one of the greatest blessings. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace 
says my God, for the wicked. And even as believers, when we're listening to the sin nature, this is our status. God desires to set us free experientially. That's sanctification. But it doesn't happen unless we're willing to examine ourselves daily, even of our lifestyles. You're not going to find peace unless you're willing to examine yourself daily. Get alone with God. Not let this kind of a... If, if this is you on the board, if you, you know, can't keep quiet, if you have no peace, a lot of the times in your life you need to just go and be alone with God for a while. Literally. Just be alone. Doesn't even matter what you say. Be alone, pour yourself out, whatever. Because that's the only way we regain, we, we, we regain His perspective. And we get rescued from the things that have been spinning us around. On the board, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're back to our affections. Where are they? Have you placed your security in something that's not a true blessing? Where have you offered your love in this world? Because... The answer to those questions is, that's where your heart's going to be. Whatever you place your security in, you know, and we do this very subtly. Don't think you don't do this. These are very subtle things, like placing your security in how much money you're going to make this week or this month. Or losing some of your security because you're going to make less this month. These are very subtle motivational things that happen in our hearts. And God's like, is that where your affections are? Maybe that's why you still have this money test to pass. Is that where your affections are? Is that where your security is, really? Or is it in a person? Are you placing your hope and your security in a person? Because God wants to save you from that lie. If that's where your hope is in, that's where your heart is going to be. If that's your treasure, quote-unquote. But as we close, if your eyes rest on the things above as your treasure then that's where your heart's going to be. If your eyes rest on the eternal spiritual blessings we talked about, where God said, forget none of His benefits, and He listed for us all these spiritual realities that we believers have already right now, that's where your heart will be, and you'll be at peace. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3.1. As we close, Colossians 3, 1. We must keep looking at our true blessings. The ones that are eternal, the ones that last forever. Why would you look at blessings that don't last forever? Why would you look at blessings that last days? It's foolish, isn't it? It's because our flesh likes to go by the things we see with our eyes, but... God tells us all these eternal blessings that we can focus on and rejoice that we don't have to lose them ever. Colossians 3.1 Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember Romans 6.11, consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Again, look at verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We must walk towards the things of God. We must look up. That's going to rescue us from times of temptation. As on the board in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Look at eternal things. And finally, on the board, our affections set our direction. Our direction reveals who and what is mastering us towards sin, Teshuka, dominated by sin, or towards God, Jesus. Our affections set our direction. Our direction reveals who and what is mastering us. So if we find out something else is mastering us, we repent, we turn to God, we thank Him for showing us, and we get to go forward in grace. Our direction reveals who and what is mastering us towards sin or towards God. So we'll close there and we'll continue with this, I'm sure, on Sunday morning. Father, we thank you so much for these things that you ask us to examine and we ask you to examine our hearts, Father. Show us where we're wrong, show us where we're hurtful and lead us in the everlasting way. We thank you for your word and your grace and the way that you handle us, the way you teach us. We ask that you help us to go to you with our problems and with our bad motivations to go be alone with you and hash it out knowing that you're a good, good Father. We just thank you for showing us the truth, Father, and we ask that you help us go forward and also bring out the truth to a lost and dying world that is deceived by sin so badly they just don't realize it whatsoever. Please give us opportunities with people that are ready to hear the good news and to be rescued from sin and death. We ask all these things in the name of our precious Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.